0: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm the managing editor over at BlessYouBoys.com. Um, we've got another draft podcast for you today, as the uh, the draft lurks ever nearer. Um, we've got Keenan Lamb, senior MLB draft writer over at Baseball Prospectus. Keenan Lamb, thanks a lot for joining me, man.
1: Thanks. I'll come up with something like maybe more simple. I don't know. It's 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 messed up. It's flubbed up more often than you think. So it's all good. But yeah, I'm happy to be here, Brittany. <laughs> Thanks
0: a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I just took over uh, Bless You Boys as managing editor of the Spring, and I still it still feels like a mouthful. Like like mm-hmm. I'm like I'm bragging or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like you're just like the guy, and yep. like I guess I'm just like the draft guy is really all I should go by. <laughs> so yeah,
0: yep, the official draft guy. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so um, before we get started, I mean, this this draft is kind of, um, you know, it's sort of got the shadow of the COVID year over it a little bit, and um, at the same time, there doesn't really seem to be, like, the, the massive consensus that we've seen, you know, at least, like, for the Tigers when they had the 1-1 overall in 18 and 20, you know, it was pretty clear at least what they were going to do. Um, you know, Marcelo Mayer seems to seems to be the guy. I mean, can we start right there? I mean, are you are you pretty convinced that he's going to go first to the Pirates, or do you think um, things might start, you know, getting uh, pretty interesting pretty quickly on draft night?
1: Well, I think you really touched on really a couple of really important things um, where we are living in the shadow of a pandemic draft, whereas last year it was you know throwing darts at a dartboard. But at least there was a little bit better idea of what was going on, especially at the top of the draft with Torkelson. Yeah. And then th- this year, it's back to closer to normalcy. But even just the scouting community in general was so affected last year. A lot of cutbacks and departments and in a lot of organizations uh, figuring out what actually worked last year and they try to use again this year as far as evaluating players with regards to video and analytics and that kind of thing. And I don't know if that really necessarily plays into this year's class and why there's so much uncertainty, especially at the top. It's just, it's a really equitable top six, seven, eight players. And depending on which team you are, you're probably going to have a different preference order of who those players are. Meyer might be the guy. Uh, I personally, I'm kind of leaning towards Jordan Lawler. He seems to be more the safer pick. Um, The guy with the more present tools, there's still some projection left. Meyer, you have to kind of dream on a little bit as far as what you think he's going to become, as opposed to what he's shown to be thus far. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not the same situation we had last year with the Tigers at 1-1. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, even with Lawler, of course, there's, you know, the fact that, he, that he's a little bit older. I mean, he's not not old for the draft class, but he's already 19. Um, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that, that puts people off a little bit as well. Although right. uh, and, and he, so- does look, he does look good, though. Um, you know, the, the power projection does seem to be there. I mean, he's, he's got that kind of snap in his forearms that you, uh, that you like to see from a, a guy who's, you know, not going to not going to fill out and be like a first baseman size guy um, when you're looking for power.
1: Yeah, scouts I've talked to in the Texas area, they really like his tools. It's a lot of average to above average tools, nothing too splashy, but they feel very confident that those tools are going to play up as he gets older. Um, And he's more than likely going to stay at shortstop. I had one scout in the Texas area say, hey, he could play center field potentially with the amount of athleticism he has. Whereas with Marcelo Meyer, he's either going to play shortstop or he's going to play third base. He could even to a lesser extent play second base down the road so I I get the 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 juxtaposition of the two because they're both high school shortstops right now but they do offer very different types of future potentials and that's why you get such weird feedback on both
0: yeah and I I guess that's another just another you know part adding to the variance in this draft is just that you know there's there's four prep shortstops um all up in the top 10 and that you know that scares some people um that that can also be a huge opportunity you kind of you kind of figure one of those guys is going to turn out at least to be a really good player um but there is a lot of bust potential perhaps with someone like house or you know even maybe watson um you know so yeah there's a lot of interesting pairings and then you know the tigers obviously seem to be at at least the rumors are that the tigers are, are quite obsessed with jackson joe and um you know, you can, you can compare him to lighter. Um, and that, that's an interesting, you know, comparison as well, as far as like, you know, what do you, what do you like better? I, I keep thinking, you know, that if Jack lighter had been in the 2018 draft as he is right now, you, you would have had a hard time picking between him and Casey Mize. I mean, similar questions, you know, like both of them are a little bit undersized, but, um, but, you know, advanced, you know, in, in many other ways. Um, but you know, you could kind of pick your poison here. Like some people seem to think lighter might actually slip down to four and and go to the Red Sox. Um, I I don't know if the Tigers are this, you know, this in on job, or if this is, you know, kind of, you know, a little bit of a smokescreen. I I really don't know quite know what to think because it doesn't seem like the pick that, that they would normally make here. Um, but it's, you know, the Tigers, you know, entire front office has gone through some reshuffling over the past two years. Um, The drafting in general, I would say, has gotten a good bit better, um, at least since, you know, whatever was going on in 2017. (laughs) Um, You know, they've they've hit on a few guys further on Um, the 2020 draft obviously looks looks pretty good in retrospect. Um, You know, thinking of it from a specifically Tigers perspective, um, you know, what do you think they're looking for and who would you say that they're keyed in on right now?
1: I mean, this is going to be a terrible answer. And and a lot of fan bases are, are unfortunately asking me the same thing is, well, what do you think is going to happen mm-hmm. after pick one or pick two? And it's, I mean, it's the same answer I would give like most years, it's like, oh, it kind of just depends on how the draft falls. But more so than like the years kind of just that we can kind of go back in our head, just straight from memory. It's just so much uncertainty because of who could go one or two or what kind of deals could be cut, you know, even in those like five, six, seven range, you know, does that potentially move guys up or down Do certain guys have signing bonus demands like a Kumar rocker, even Jack lighter. Are they going to command a seven or $8 million signing bonus? And if that's the case, the tigers are kind of the last team that can offer that, you know, so it's, it's going to be really weird to see how things actually fall out. But when you talk about Jackson job and and people are, are wondering, you know, is it just a lot of smoke or people just trying to, you know, kind of play that whole, you know, before the draft game, as far as like trying to pump a guy up a little bit so they can get him up to, to go somewhere else. Yeah, He's a really good player. He's not a guy you can really compare to like what Jack lighter was when, 2018 he was coming out of high school and he was considered a first round pick at the time and decided to go to vanderbilt instead jackson job is a relatively new pitcher only in this past year has he fully committed to pitching he was a position player and actually a really well thought of shortstop up until really like may of last year and then his physicality just went through the roof he's a six foot three very athletic a uh, very uh well good body control that he can he can really move on the mound very well because of some of those actions i think he he learned in the position um of shortstop and now he's just this guy who is just scraping the surface as far as his potential goes throwing a fastball in the mid 90s with a lot of life and a lot of movement and he's got an insane slider that's routinely you know with rpm's up above 3000 um in the spin rate and and a, and a usable changeup There's a lot to like as far as Jackson Job is concerned, especially just how good he is at his age and also relative to his experience level as a pitcher. So if he's where the Tigers end up going, I would not be disappointed at all, at all. He's a hell of a prospect.
0: Yeah. And I mean, going back to, you know, like Matt Manning, um, you know, there's an example where the Tigers, you know, really, really just bet on the athleticism and he was, you know, far more raw than, than Job is and didn't, you know, didn't have the ability to spin the breaking ball the way he does, um, you know, was, was maybe even a bigger, you know, more physical specimen. Um, I still think, you know, we're going to see Manning pumping 98, 99, a lot of the time once he uh, builds back some weight he lost in COVID. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just so much to like there I mean do you think there's there's also an opportunity that the Tigers feel like they can take Job and possibly pay him a fair bit less and and save some money for the comp and and second round picks
1: I think it's possible but the more that he gets talked about as far as potentially being linked to them the more that he and who whomever his advisor air quotes advisor is um, they're going to see that too. And they're going to think, well, shoot the slot at that pick is, you know, over $7 million. So we should think that we should be able to get that kind of money. So the, the more that it's, it's becoming more on the radar, I think the less likely something like that happens. I think he might go for slightly under at pick number three. Cause yeah. if he doesn't go at three, there's nothing that says he couldn't slide down to eight, nine or 10. Right. So that's when the tigers could say, okay, well here's 5 million. Yeah. take it or leave it and then that's when we get into saving that money for, for later picks
0: I mean in general do you find that that those of us who who, who follow the draft you know and, and and get interested kind of from the outside are more interested in that in that kind of a scheme because a lot you know we seem to hear you know th- there's all kinds of talk every year about you know someone's going to do this under slot and then they've got this guy who's you know going to going to claim he's not going to sign you know that we like to to kind of float these schemes because it's fun um you know th- those sorts of things don't usually seem to pan out particularly well to me and most of the time i, I kind of regarded as as just smoke but um i don't know is, is there more potential this year for, for something like that you know someone hoping i don't know like gunner hoagland or you know Jaden hill is down there you know much further than than some expect and maybe they could land a guy like that if they have the extra money um, are, are there more opportunities for that sort of thing? Because there's there's maybe less certainty at the top this year.
1: I think a lot of the teams this year, when we talk about like that top tier of player, which is about seven or eight deep, I think any eight of the teams picking in the top 10 would love to cut a deal. The problem is because there's so much fluidity this year and that top tier is a little bit bigger and more uncertain than years past it's a lot harder to do that again like the past like what well, we can just rewind the tape as, as recently as last year with the Orioles at pick number two they saw Heston Kierstad and they said this guy is towards the top of our board we think we can get some savings with him and so we'll use that later on in the draft so he was thought of at the time he was in my pre-draft rankings as the 10th best player so for him to go number two was I mean it was significant but it wasn't insane mm-hmm. so if let's just say uh the rangers at the same pick number two or we'll even talk about the tigers at three if they want to cut a deal they're going to have to be taking someone in the teens to get some who doesn't expect to be already up in that range already so you're going to have to look at a guy like colton Cowser or Sal fralick matt mcclain one of those guys who is expected to get in that you know two to three million dollar range so where they can really like actually take a big big enough haircut to where it matters at the top of the draft. And when you're doing that, you're sacrificing a lot of talent for what is perceived to be at the top of the draft by having to take someone, uh, you know, in the, in the early teens, early to late teens, really.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's too early to say how it, how it plays out, but I mean, how, how do you feel about what, you know, what they did last year taking Kerstad? I mean, is it, you know, I mean, would they have just been better off taking Austin Martin? Cause a lot of times I just think, you know, just take the best player (laughs) you can
1: you absolutely can get too cute and it's too early to see on Kierstad and I know he's battled um some health related issues this year so you can't really you know say for certain like what what that's going to turn into and we wish him the best but I think where it gets too cute is that they had in their mind what they were going to do later on in the draft and every every you know every signal really says that they were going to go with Nick Bitsko and yeah. um, with their second pick and he ended up getting popped five picks earlier to the race. So then you're left with, well, who the heck are we going to overpay now? And they ended up going with Jordan Westberg, who, he's a fine college player, but they didn't really overpay him. And then they ended up just really spreading it around to like a couple high school players later on, which is fantastic fine. But if the really the point of trying to save money on an underslot deal towards the early part of the draft is to get a significant player with, you know, somewhere down the road, and they really didn't do that last year. So you're kind of just wasting that opportunity and wasting that money in a lot of way. So as long as you get a guy who, who fits that bill with the later pick, I'm okay with it. But you definitely have to have your contingency plans just in case that doesn't happen. And I don't think the Orioles really expecting that to happen.
0: Yeah, it's just there's so many moving parts that you don't have control of there. And yeah, I mean, like like we're saying already, like the decision tree, you know, that teams have already, you know, based on who goes, you know, first overall is already maybe more complex than usual. And then you you know you're just adding a lot a lot more variables in it there. And yeah, you can just end up. Well, we have this extra money, but you know, we're we're just going to allot it somewhere. you know, I mean, I think of you know the, the Tigers. You know, basically paid Spencer Torkelson what he, what they thought they'd have to pay him, and they still ended up kind of kind of doing some things like getting Gage Workman in the fourth wasn't exactly like a coup, but you know that was nice to get him there, and then to still have the money to get Colt Keith to sign. You know, they didn't didn't have to work that hard, you know, to make those things happen if that's who they wanted there. And I think of um, just because he's a local guy and, um, you know, we talked to Brian Sikowski from Perfect Game um, last week, you know, so I've got Alex Mooney on my mind as like, I, I wonder, you know, if if Alex Mooney, you know, kind of slipped down a little bit further than he expected, if maybe you know, the Tigers might be a team that, you know, could possibly, you know, grab him in the, you know, in the third round or something like that, potentially. I don't know if he'd go that far, but, and still have the money to make it worth his while not to go to college.
1: Sure. Yeah, this year's high school class is very good. It, yeah. It's what I, what I would describe as a well above average. Uh, if you're talking about scouting scale, you know, where this class is, it's it's for high school players, it's probably a 60. For college players, it's probably a 40. So the, the 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 value in this class is are, are gonna be players who you know, you might have expected to go early second comp round somewhere in that range. I when I saw Alex Mooney last summer, I thought, man, this is, this is probably like a back of the first round kid. Yeah. And just so many other players have really like he hasn't done anything to to lower his stock at all. It's just there's so many other players that kind of like caught up to him more so than anything. That yeah, he might not make it until you know the late second or third round, and then at that point, he and his family have to ask the question, well, what's our number? So can you afford whatever that's going to end up being to get him to not go to campus? He, he'd be a great fit for so many teams just because there's a great set of tools. He's positionally flexible. I think he's got an, an excellent swing that's both contact ready and power ready with a lot of power potential in there. Um, he's, he's definitely one of those. I don't, I don't really want to call him a sleeper. There's just so many good high school players this year. And he's definitely in that group of really good players that's going to go to a good team if they can afford them,
0: yeah, and and that's objectively looking at the at the high school players themselves. is Is there any is there any sense that maybe some of the college guys are undervalued because we didn't see them last year? Um, you know, there might be more chance of a guy you know popping, like someone who you know came on late this season, who maybe just you know was just kind of underlooked because of you know because they didn't get to play much last year.
1: I don't think so. I think if okay. anything, the huh. co- the call co- the college class, if anything, they just. Didn't perform. Mm -hmm. So unlike the high school players who did get a a little bit of a summer showcase, maybe abbreviated a little bit, um, they were still able to do some some uh, workouts and some travel ball stuff because COVID really wasn't thought to have affected younger uh, people as much. Whereas at the college level, everything was shut down right? You were just off on your own and and you had to find ways to work out. And it's not easy if you're, you know, in some small town to try and face live pitching, you know, that's going to be comparable yeah. to what you're going to see in the SEC or something like that. So I think the high school players just, they didn't suffer quite as much from a developmental standpoint as say the college class did. And I think that really kind of bore out this year. Some of the players that we really expected to be like top of the draft kind of players, a judge Fabian from Florida, Alex Benellas from Louisville, Adrian Del Castillo from Miami. They just didn't really live up to the expectations um, that were really being put forth on them. And maybe it's a developmental thing. Maybe it's just, we didn't have as much Intel on them last year. We put too much of a, an emphasis on where they should be at this point in their college careers, it just it just didn't work out that way.
0: Yeah, it's it it just seems like yeah, such a tricky factor to have in there. I mean, we all know you know reps. You know, reps are necessary for development, but but you're still looking at the player as they are right now and can't just you know necessarily give passes for that for that kind of thing. You still have to come out pre-draft and perform. That's just the way it is. But um, do, do you think there may there may well be some steals though? Just you know, just on that basis that there might be some guys who are a little bit more. Just late bloomerish as a result of all the the chaos over the past year
1: I absolutely think there will be yeah it's just it's it, I, I don't know if it's really late it. yeah right I don't know if it's a late bloomer thing or it's just a it's really tough to get a gauge on who a player is and I, I mentioned Alex benellas just uh, you know a minute ago yeah. he's a guy who was known as one of the best hitters and power hitters coming into the class and he was absolutely terrible for the first two months of the season and he came around some and he ended up hitting I think like 17 home runs which was you know pretty significant when like top 10 of the country but it was really a three true outcome kind of deal. And he had to end up being moved off third base because his throwing mechanics were all off. So he's really now just a first base only left-handed slugger who did struggle against some left-handed pitching and he's going to strike out a lot. He's going to hit a lot of home runs, but is that a guy you really want to take in the top 15 picks? No, no, you really don't. So is he more like the player you saw as a freshman and a sophomore or is he more like the player that you saw this year as a junior? And that's really like kind of the calculus that's being weighed is you if you've seen a player at a certain point perform to a level that's, you know, way above expectation, and then they kind of come back down to earth, you're having to decide is it something that we can fix mechanically, or is it just a mental thing that they had, or what what were the other issues that had them play us to a certain level this spring?
0: Yeah, and there's always those sort of yeah. You know, following the the trajectory with with these guys. I mean, he did. You know, Benalis in particular. You know, I think he had a wrist injury, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Um,
1: mm-hmm. A yeah, hamate bone, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that kind of thing can always be can always be tricky. Um, obviously, you know, we're kind of seeing a little bit of that with Alex Curloff um, at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, no, knowing, I don't know, just knowing, you know, like what what injuries a guy had, and like maybe whether or not you know how, how likely you think it is that there, that that's been the factor all those sorts of things are extremely difficult to calculate i would I'm, I'm sure
1: there's so many variables and and the thing with last year in scouting is those variables were un unanswered yeah. and so you're kind of given like this ellipses and this this like hole in time where you just don't have any information and, and now you're kind of having to pick up where you left off and there unquestionably there's a year that's gone by. Players have grown. They've done certain things or have not done certain things to get better. And so you're going to end up with guys who are going to maybe regress a little bit, but they can maybe get back to where they were before. And then there's going to be guys who are still underscouted and just the state of scouting the where it is with, with uh, a lot of scouting departments uh, smaller than they were a year ago. Um, there's going to be players that just fall through the cracks so i I think once you get past like round seven this year with it only being a 20 round draft um which is still half of what it's been in in past years you know once you get past seven round seven or eight i think you're going to find a lot of players are going to end up becoming good organizational and potentially good mlb regulars down the road we just didn't see it because you just didn't know to look for it
0: yeah Yeah. And that leads you to, you know, do we, yeah. Do we bet on just, you know, picking pure athletes who we think, you know, that might be the case about, um, all all those sorts of sorts of things start to factor into the equation down there as well. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess one other factor that's, that's obviously been big news lately is the, um, you know, the sticky substance on the hands of the pitchers. Um, you know, how, do you have any sense yet of how that is, is factoring down into the way teams are looking at um, not just the, you know, their own minor leaguers as well, I suppose, but, um, but also into the draft and the amateur ranks is there, you know, like obviously Job's, you know, spin rates on the, on the slider have been over 3000 RPMs. Um, That's, you know, that's not his only selling point by any means, but, but it is kind of a key selling point. Are teams um, bringing these guys in and uh, drying their hands and examining them and and trying to get uh, accurate readings be a track man on those sorts of things?
1: I think it is far less prevalent on the amateur level, just because of uh, the access to certain like really industrial uh, grade sticky substances that are like some other players who have, you know, a, a greater uh, ability to get that we at the college or professional level. I would, I would tend to think that most high school players don't, get into the really, really sticky stuff. Sure, like there's there's always going to be the sunscreen and rosin and maybe pine tar. Right. But, you know, even pine tar is not really used because of the aluminum bats uh, used at the amateur level. So I, I don't think that's even that much of a concern. Um, when you talk about the college players, though, I do know that it, that it is a little bit of an issue. I, I was at a series actually earlier this year, uh, at Florida State and Wake Forest, where um, Florida State – was struggling a little bit against a pitcher. He had been throwing a pretty good game. I'm, I'm, I'm having difficulty remembering who it was. It was their Saturday starter. I remember that, and uh, they they had a Florida State had a runner on third base, and literally called time to go to his coach and say, hey, you need to check the pitcher. So the manager then goes to the umpire and that they do like a a foreign substance check. And this is before like any of this blew up, you know, this, this spring when the big leagues, this was like back in like late March and they checked him, and they kind of just shrugged it off and they laughed about it. Nothing was found, but it was interesting because I I did watch him for the rest of the year inning and had and before he had been reaching towards um, I don't know if you've noticed in college baseball, but a lot of teams have like these little play cards either on their wrist or on their bell buckle. Oh yeah. Um where they call their they call their pitches or they'll call their defensive alignments based upon these little index cards that they, they carry that they'll shuffle for each game. And the pitcher had been kind of going to that every single pitch. And then after that check by the umpires Strangely, he stopped going to his little bu- buckle so much. <laughs> yep. So, I, you know, I, I think it, it's it's definitely still going to be a thing to think about on the college side. I don't think I worry about as much on the high school side. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think, you know, uh, what we're seeing at the major league level, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like a, like a radical, you know, issue as far as performance goes. You know, like, you know, it, it does seem like there are certain guys who are probably – you know using the using the hard stuff as it as it comes out and some of those guys who who popped up sort of out of nowhere may uh, may see themselves relegated back to oblivion but but overall you know the performance doesn't seem that crazy i guess we'll have to see how how you know guys who you know have had to adapt a little bit get used to gripping the ball a little bit differently and see if anything anything comes of it i don't know I, i've been a little bit relieved the past couple of weeks after um after now went down that there hasn't been like this giant <laughs> giant rash of elbow injuries. Cause he scared the heck out of me when he was mm-hmm. talking about it.
1: Right. And it's, it's definitely, this is a terrible pun. It's, it's a sick, it's a sticky situation clearly. Um, and I see both sides of the equation um, as it pertains to the draft. I think it's. Um, I don't think it's going to be an evaluation concern at all. Those medical issues, they're always going to be a thing that they're going to be wanting to check in on. And uh, teams were able to do a lot more of that this year because the draft combine that just recently happened. So oh, a yeah. lot more pre-draft medicals were able to be um, done, and and that's a good thing, I think. Um, knowing what you're getting before you actually you know put pen to paper. Yeah. Um. But as far as like the sticky substances go, you know, as soon as they get. Into the pro ball, they have to stop doing it, and they're gonna have to learn how not to. So uh, yeah, it'll it'll be fine. It'll work itself out. We know what the new normal is, and that's just how it's gonna be.
0: Yeah, and like in Jobs' case, like I mean, if if, if his slider turns out to have twenty nine hundred RPMs, like it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right, that. right. And yeah. I don't think he does. Like I, I I saw him last summer at the Perfect Game All Star Classic, and it, it's a filthy slider. Like it just yeah. it looks different. It just does, and it has nothing to do with how well you can. It, when you throw in 3000 RPMs, that's not a sticky substance thing. Like it's, it's a, you have a natural ability to, to pressure the ball and release and pronate your wrist to do some pretty special things with it. And he can do that.
0: Yeah. Are there, is there any, um, I don't know. Are there any sort of bio biomarkers that, that have been, you know, well correlated to, to spin, um, you know, like, like, I don't know, like broader fingers, like more surface area um you know yeah wrist flexibility all, the, all those sorts of things are, are they starting it, to it, dial that in a little bit
1: um i think when you you talk about some of the the advent of the 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 high speed motion cameras the rapsodos uh, of the world yeah, um, trying um, those and are all that, yeah r- right they're, they're starting to get a, a better idea of like not only like what the body can do to the ball, but what the ball can do to the body a little bit, Um, Mm -hmm. what the ball needs to look like coming out of the hand with, with regards to spin efficiency and that kind of thing. It really depends on the pitch, right? Because like a high speed changeup isn't a, or a high spin rate changeup isn't good. Whereas like a high spin rate slider or curve pole is, and yeah. you can say the same thing for a fastball. Like you, you want more of a spin direction, um, and an efficiency as opposed to just how fast you can spin it. So when it comes to the biometric question, um, there are like, if, if you, if you, have, if you throw a really good changeup, Right. If you have longer fingers, it's believed that you can keep the ball in your hand for a longer period of time. So you can affect the ball more to get it to spin a certain direction, a kind of a gyro kind of type spin. Whereas if you are uh, someone who maybe throws a slider more, it has to do with how well can you pressure your fingers together and, and get that kind of tackiness to where you're spinning it and and this in a similar way that you would for the fastball but then cutting it just a little bit more. So yeah. getting around I, the side a little yeah. Right. The, the, and that's like really the next frontier of of analytics I think. Um, hitting is is so far in a way uh, what's been studied because it's it's a little bit easier to record uh just, just swing mechanics in general are largely kind of similar from player to player whereas pitching mechanics i mean yeah no two deliveries are the same like even guys who have tried to like replicate pitching mechanics i remember most notably charlie morton and tried to redo roy halliday's mechanics and it worked for him but it's still not the same exact mechanics (laughs) as roy halliday he's still his own pitcher
0: and everybody has slightly different, yeah, finger shapes and links and all that that part of it as well, yeah, yeah. And, and balance,
1: uh, yeah, and balance on their front leg and drive off their back leg. And you know, places like Driveline, they're trying to do a, a good job as 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 uh, putting like body markers and being able to analyze certain uh, pressure areas areas and high stress areas and when you should be, you know, twisting off of your torso here. And and that's stuff that's beyond my pay grade at this point. It's stuff I'd love to know more about. Yeah. But it's it's still the next frontier of analytics for sure.
0: Yeah. I'm still expecting, you know, a team to get ahead of everyone by sort of motion capturing really intensely, like their pitchers all at their best. And then, you know, and having that right there so that even in their bullpens, they can, they can re-motion capture them. And, you know, compare to their, you know, their absolute best stuff and make those make those subtle, um, so subtle adjustments like it's going to get to that point. I mean, you know, before long, we're going to have barometric pressure on the field factored in, you know, <laughs> to, to pitch movement like it's, a, it's all coming. But um,
1: in, in baseball, if it can, yeah, if in baseball, I've been told if it's measurable. It's worth it, and like that's they're doing sleep studies, yeah, they're doing um I, I saw recently um that the company escapes me, but it, they're they're vests, they're like workout vests that measure heart rates and uh blood oxygen levels, oh yeah and uh, certain other like stress levels in the body, like while you're working out. And so they're trying to get a better idea, like, Hey, maybe you should only work out at like 70% here because we've noticed that if you work over 85% of like a certain strenuous level, you don't operate as well later at night and during the game. So it, 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 everything's going into effect when it comes to not only the major league decisions, but going down into those minor league decisions. And of course, down into the draft, they're all trying to make it worthwhile to where it's the best decisions being made. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and any bit of information you can get that's, yeah, that's sort of verifiable and repeatable has got to, got to be valuable. Yeah. I mean, the modus sleeves, like for hitters, like the force plates, I mean, on and on, it's uh, it's an interesting time. And then mm-hmm. to, you know, to take the pitching side a different way. I mean, you could also look at a high spin changeup as, you know, a freakish outlier and sometimes, Sometimes a pitch like that works, um, you know, sometimes you get a guy like Lucas Giolito who throws a high change up that looks exactly like his four seamer and all of a sudden you've got an effective pitch. Um, yeah, it, the, the interactions are so so complicated from one one pitch and each sequence to sequence that, um, yeah, it, it, the complexity seems you know, the amount of like game theory being applied to all these things is just kind of incredible right now.
1: And then we've
0: got seam shifted wake, you know, and then we've got the seam shifted wake paradigm where, you know, it, it may be more possible to, you know, for guys with high gyro, low efficiency pitches to get, you know, more late movement or or very unpredictable movement that doesn't mirror the spin that the, that the hitter sees. I mean, that that's a whole fascinating new paradigm that I don't really think anybody's quite dialed into how to like really put it to use. There are just guys who do it and they don't quite know why. So.
1: Right. I was actually talking to a scout about, This this past spring, we were talking about uh, high slot pitchers. I think at the time we were talking about Ty Madden uh, Mm. out of Texas, who's thought to be you know somewhere in the first round as far as uh, MLB prospects go uh, in the draft. And there's this rush to get these high slot pitchers who can throw a four seam fastball, spin it up in the zone, and then come with a breaking ball that just kind of drops off the table, that kind of changes the eye level of the hitter. And he had an interesting theory, and I I tend to. Agree with it like it's a copycat sport and and any sport is really a copycat sport football you know when it became like the air it out game and they're just gonna pass it all over the place everybody started doing that so then the defenses had to start practicing against it more so then they got better against it and and then you have to like come back and find the average again right yeah so if everybody's out there trying to find these high slot, you know, reverse backspin four-seam pitchers, at some point the hitter has to catch up or else they're just going to fail for their entire career. And if they're constantly seeing the same type of pitch and the same type of pitcher over and over again, then they're just going to get caught up to that type of pitcher, which is why I think you saw the Rays in recent years, try and bring in bullpen arms where they have all types of different slots and repertoires because yeah. they wanted to give different looks out of their bullpen for that very reason.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause then, yeah, once you, you know, once you kind of buy into the, you know, Glasnow or Garrett Cole or Dustin Verlander, paradigm of the the high high spin four seamers up you know hard breaking ball with with high rpms down then yeah you start selecting for hitters that can handle that and then eventually you have a league with more hitters that can do that and all of a sudden the sinkers work again you know it's like yeah
1: right exactly
0: endless cat and mouse going on um but it seems Mm -hmm. but the the pace of those adjustments just seems like it's going to keep happening you know faster and faster and yeah seeing the race kind of buy into maybe just more more diversity you know like finding guys in each of those different paradigms who are who excel um and having you know that whole array um is is a pretty pretty huge weapon i remember seeing those uh oh god which uh which indian god is it ganesha i can't remember the one you know that has like the eight arms out to the side you know it was like yeah right wild theory here Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so all right let's um let's kind of just run through a couple of the the top guys here that we haven't talked about um can, can we kind of compare to Watson to Brady house for me a little bit? Like I look at Brady house and I can see where, yeah, like the, the tools could be huge if he can hit, but there's a lot of violence in the swing. People have swing mission issues there. Whereas Watson seems to have kind of come out of nowhere a little more with, with maybe less, less high school track record. It seems like. And, um, but man, he he's uh he's a very, very good looking player. I have to say that swing is pretty, pretty tasty.
1: Oh Yeah. So last year, we'll just kind of put a, a flag in a year ago today. So a, as of um, you know, early July 2020, Brady House was actually one of a couple uh, players who thought to be a person who could unseat Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter as the number one overall pick, because those two guys are considered the top two picks coming into the year. Yeah. And Brady House last summer – Really did not have a very good, uh, kind of all star circuit going around to various uh, showcase events and travel ball things. It, he just looked really stiff, um, really flat on his feet. Uh, that just didn't look like he was engaging his entire body. He's supposed to be known as this really athletic player with a lot of juice and a lot of uh, power, yeah. and I just did not see it. He, he dropped very far down my pref list as far as players I thought that could go in the first round. Khalil Watson at that same time a year ago was displaying a really advanced hit tool with incredibly hard line drive contact, not necessarily power like over the fence power, mm-hmm. but line drive hard contact to all fields, really smooth stroke really athletic in the field. You know, when they, when they do these all-star events, you know, you, you wanna play shortstop, you know, cause that's your normal position, but you're gonna have to play around a couple places to fit guys in. He was playing second base and he looked like a wizard over there. Brady House looked like he looked pretty clunky at third base um, as opposed to when he had to move off of shortstop. Um, Khalil Watson was really a riser last summer to House who was falling. So then you fast forward to this spring, and house looks much better. He has more rhythm and tempo, especially in his lower half. He doesn't, doesn't look like he's like hitting in cement, like in the batter's box, like he was last year. Yeah. And he, he and the, the power production definitely showed, he definitely looked the part. He, he, I, I think undoubtedly he goes in the top 10 picks this year. He definitely made himself, his, himself some money. Khalil Watson did nothing but stop rising. Uh, he, uh, uh Added a few pounds. He's still pretty quick in the box. Showing more of a a home run stroke. Showed some uh, really advanced power ability, which I was a little surprised to see at this part just because he's not a huge guy. Whereas Brady House is 6'2", 190, 200. Khalil Watson's more like 5'9", 5'10". You know, a little bit more foot speed uh, and a guy you'd expect to be playing up the middle a little bit more. But he's really put on a good uh, display off offensively so where if I had to choose between the two I think personally I would take Khalil Watson I do see the upside with Brady House I just think that there's a little bit more risk associated with it
0: yeah. Yeah. Just a little variance there. Um, let's talk uh, Kumar rocker for a second, because yeah, as you say, you know, coming in, coming into this year, he and Jack lighter were, were thought to be dueling for the, the top one and two spots. And, you know, we've seen the velocity dips here and there and and some of the concerns about his, his arm slot flattening out, um, you know, a, a host of a host of little things, the slider still, you know, still looks like death most of the time to me, but, um, yeah, how are you, uh, how are you feeling about Mr. Rocker and where he might go th- at this point?
1: Well, having talked to a couple of evaluators, there's some real thought that he could slip as far as into the teens.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that's pretty shocking uh, yeah. considering where he he began the year. And when you also when you consider his track record over the last couple of years, all he's done in the SEC as part of one of the best programs in the country is dominate, absolutely dominate. So it's really strange to to be – really it's not nitpicking. These are valid concerns that you have about a prospect that you want to know about, you know, when you're picking in the top 10, but, you know, for a guy who's got like a sub two ERA and, you know, 140 something yeah. strikeouts to, you know, 30 something walks, like he's got the numbers and he's got this prototypical big body. That's you, you, you really look at and say that, man, that's a workhorse of the future. And yet still, the concerns are valid the fastball like you talked about has been up and down the fastball shape has been very we'll just say bizarre yeah uh, i think there were some attempts for him to to try and change his slot a little bit to try and uh to get a little bit more life on it the problem with that though is i didn't really see a whole lot of command and control with it um, when that happened so if you're going to try and make the fastball move a little bit more at the sacrifice of not being able to, to control it, that really is a, a net negative. Uh, when I saw him earlier this spring, it was like 96, 97 on a cold 45 degree night where you know he was basically untouchable. He's got a cutter, a slider, he'll mix in a curveball and a changeup. He's got the repertoire, he's got the secondary pitches, he's got the body and the stamina and the competitiveness. He, he's got all of it. But it's still a fastball pitcher's game. You're still going to be throwing it 40 to 60 percent of the time as the, the most used pitch in the big leagues. And if that's not going to be a pitch that you're going to be able to rely on, that's a pretty big red flag. And I understand why he's slipping slightly from what was perceived to be the top you know, couple picks to maybe towards pick 10, maybe even slipping into the teens. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It seems like if, um you know, if like the Mets or Nationals or someone like that, you know, manages to land him, they're going to be pretty happy though. You know, I, I think, yes. to, I think back to Casey Mize and, you know, I had similar concerns cause I, you know, I, I just sort of couldn't wrap my head around the, the idea of a, of a 70 splitter, you know, kind of, kind of carrying a good, good bit of the profile. Like obviously he had command, you know, he had, he had the slider, had a pretty good fastball, but I always thought his fastball was a little bit flat. He didn't show the velocity that he's shown, um, you know, at least over the past year, you know, we're seeing him out there, um, you know, just tonight, you know, throwing 94 to 96 pretty comfortably, um, g- getting a lot more life up in the zone, it looks like. So, yeah, you never know. I mean, Kumar Rocker would be a heck of a project to, to be the guy that you're trying to, you know, tweak his fastball. And if you if you if you figure it out, you, you may have yourself a, a big time ace there. You just never know. So but yeah, it does seem like the risk there is certainly higher than it was coming into the year.
1: Right. When you start tinkering with a player's mechanics, when something has worked for them for a number of years, I will give them kudos for at least trying. But at the same time, you do worry about whether you're going to be exposing them to more risk when it comes to an injury because you're just you're asking them to do something that doesn't feel as natural to them. Them. So that's why there was concerns at one point when he's throwing, you know, 90 to 92 in some starts in April. Like, hey, what exactly is going on here? Is there something barking in the shoulder or the elbow? Um, so I, I, I think there is a floor for him in the first round. Uh, you talk about the Nats and Mets. I think even the Royals and the Angels would probably be happy to get him. It it really just kind of depends if you're, if you see what he was as a freshman and as a sophomore, as the dominating beast that he was, and you're okay with how he turned out this year with, with some of the stuff he was doing with the fastball, then yeah, he's probably not going to get into the teens and he's probably going to very happily go to one of those other teams. But that's when you talk about the risk of the bonus pool. Is he going to be expecting something north of five six seven million dollars and you have teams with bonus pools at that part we're going to be in the you know four and five range so that's going to be the risk there
0: yeah although i mean do you think i mean do teams worry about that that much i mean i'm trying to think of a guy who who is in that circumstance who turned the money down and came back another year and and made it work you know it just doesn't i don't know it just seems like it's just such an enormous risk to turn down for that you know To to try to get five or six million instead of four, um, I I just I just wonder if anybody would be would be you know sort of phased by by the possibility that he might turn them down. I don't know.
1: Right, you I can't recall a player who came back and then you're right, like kind of proved his point a little bit. You You see more often than not the guy who. we can go back to last year, Austin Martin, as you mentioned earlier when we were talking, you know, he, he slipped a couple spots and he still wanted the money that he thought he was going to get at pick number two. And Toronto said, okay, we'll we'll pay you over slot because we really think you're good. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, he does have another year of eligibility. That's what he can do. He has that amount of leverage. Um, And he does come from a family that, you know, that isn't exactly, you know, hurting for money. And that's why Jack Leiter could potentially do the same thing. And he could price himself up to a point where he could go back to Vanderbilt because he could say, I want to go to the Red Sox or Kamarocker could say, I want to go to Texas. You know, we we don't know these inner workings, these conversations that are, are happening, you know, a a couple of days and weeks leading up to the draft. It's, it's, it's tough to, to guess on that point.
0: Yeah, for sure. It just, um, you know, it just seems Insane <laughs> for a yeah for a, for a pitcher to you know to bet on his health more as much as anything. No matter how much you believe in your ability, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just always always a sketchy bet there to me for for that extra million. But um, but I've never been in that situation. So
1: <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, you know. And, and sometimes Rockers, it's not a money thing though. It yeah. is it could be it could be organizationally where they they doesn't want to go to a specific team. Um that doesn't happen too terribly often. The teams will usually call their bluff on that for what you were just talking about there. It's like, "Hey, this is the money you really want to turn down this this much." Yeah. But uh, that that's also another consideration.
0: Yeah. Yep. it has to be there. Yeah, and, that, and like to to go back to Rocker like, you know, I mean that's a guy who you know, you could almost look at him as someone who you know, who hurt himself because he was so good, you know, in the beginning, you know, there's almost no way to, to sustain that trajectory maybe for, for three seasons Um, might, might be a little, a little bit much to ask. So yeah, yeah. Those, those
1: decisions are, are, are brutal. I'm,
0: well, I'd love to have the opportunity to make them, but I'm I'm not upset that I don't have that chance. <laughs> just once. <laughs> just time. once. Wouldn't, yeah.
1: it, wouldn't it be fun just once not to have your job on the line, but just to do it because then you could have like your name attached to it? Yeah, that'd be fun. I could do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just the just the ultimate in fantasy baseball, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's just poke down the board a little bit. I mean, is there anybody, you know, you, you kind of key in on or a couple guys maybe you think the tigers might key on in the in the comp round?
1: So the, the comp round, that's, that's it, just like, unfortunately, it's the same situation that they find themselves at pick number three. Yeah. It's what exactly happens in front of them. And, and being that I don't really foresee the Tigers uh, going under slot and taking a real surprise pick at number three, um, it, it's they're going to have a, a lot of options, especially when I talk about like, those high school players uh, who – it's really the depth of the class and the value of the class is going to be found in that area. So it's, it's going to be best player available. I don't think if you take say Jack lighter at three, you have to say, Oh, we have to take a high school position player here with our next pick at 32. Right. Um, it's, I think they did a very good job last year of taking the guy they wanted. And then I, from whom I've talked to Dylan Dingler was not in the plans for the Tigers last year and he kind of fell in their laps. So I, I personally had him as a top 20 pick and he's looking like a hell of a steal at this point so far. Yeah. So some somebody like that where you you consider a guy who's going to be maybe a top 20 pick um mm-hmm. I, I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head who i think is, has been like under scouted in that some same sort of way but mm-hmm. it could be it could be ty madden um you know he could be a guy who falls that far and and you like him better at 32 than maybe you would have at like pick number 12 or something like that yeah or you take a uh, just a high school player with that lot of up- upside and you keep building the depth of that organization you're gonna get you know, a very good player at 32 and for that matter at 39, um, but with those picks uh, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of flexibility.
0: Yeah. And that's just, you know, obviously just, just having good draft preparation, right. Just, just being ready, just in case, you know, those guys that you didn't think you really had a chance on suddenly falls in your lap. You've got to be able to make that decision over the guy that, you know, maybe you were kind of keyed in on and expected to be there. So.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think there's going to be so that the, the college players that could be at that point, Um, seem like they're of like where you'd expect in a normal year. Um, It's possible a guy like Jaden Hill, who you brought up earlier, he could be a guy where, you know, even though he has the Tommy John surgery, you're not expecting him to do much this year or or even most of next anyways. Mm -hmm. You can take a flyer on a, a guy who was supposed to be a top 10 pick at one point. Or, or you like you take some of those those pop up guys, those helium players that you've seen over the course of the spring that you didn't think would be there last year. Uh, a guy like a, a Matt Mikulski, yeah, uh, who's a left hander uh, out of out of an Ivy League school who just went from an eighty eight to ninety guy and all of a sudden throwing ninety seven, ninety eight from the left side with four pitches. Uh, I think there's some decent college players who are going to be available at that point too. It's it's you pick the litter.
0: Yeah, and I mean. How we talk about this a lot with, with, uh, with, with some of the people I chat with about you know, drafting and, and scouting and the minor leagues and development, but knowing your own sort of strengths developmentally, like, I mean, are you a believer that that really helps you, you know, a, a little bit later on in the draft to identify guys that you, you know, that you can sort of like compare to someone you've already sort of helped? Um, you know, look for guys that have similar swing issues, like a guy who, you know, maybe makes plenty of contact, but hasn't unlocked any power, but you've seen guys like that before and been able to, you know, institute a leg kick or, or, you know, built a little bit more lateral movement into their, their swing and, and got them hitting the ball harder. It's all that. I mean, if it's the two things kind of go together, I guess is what I'm asking. Do you think like, you know, the teams that are are better at development are better suited, in the draft, you know, to, to, to land someone in the the second, third, fourth, fifth round that, um, that other teams didn't, didn't really see the potential in.
1: Uh, Player development is such a team specific organization to organization thing where certain orgs will try and have like a specific plan to use for all players like this is the type of swing we want to see this is the you know your off day workouts as a pitcher this is what we want to see on day two versus day three you know this is the type of curveball grip that we want you to use yada 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 yeah there's other teams that do a better job of being more flexible and just trying to get the most out of the player And there are cases to be made for both sets because some organizations do have that kind of hubris. They feel that they they can churn out those kind of players. Whereas the organizations I feel that do the best job of knowing what the player is and what they're capable of and the player development staff being lockstep with that idea. Those are the organizations that do a really good job. Um, One one, uh, hitting coach that I worked with once upon a time, he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm a hell of a cook, but if you don't bring me the right ingredients, there's nothing I can really do to make this taste any better. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, he, he likened Scouts to being like the shoppers, and he was like the cook trying to, to make the meal. And so he, he obviously thinks that, you know, you have to bring in the good players first and foremost. They have to be good. Yeah. And then you have to do what's best for them once they get in your system.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So that approach can, can vary, you know, as, as far as that goes for sure. Yeah.
1: And I think with the Tigers, they do a, a, what I would say is a pretty um, average job as, as far as developing position players. Um, I think their pitchers, they, they, they've been going back and forth a couple different ways in recent years, trying to uh, uh, take players and, and, and engage them in certain ways. Like Bo Burrows is a guy that I saw when he was drafted right out of high school and he had an advanced breaking ball and you saw the makings of, of, of some velocity there, but like a, some command issues and it just never really got much better. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and kind, of, and kind it, of
0: undersized, maybe a little bit like just didn't it, seem to have sure. the
1: projection. Yeah. Sure. And and so then you look at, okay, so is that on the player? Is it on the player development team? Is it on the scouts that identified him incorrectly? And, you know, even though he's not with the Tigers anymore, you know, he's still kind of a, a work in progress. Who knows? If you know he catches on with some team and it's is a renaissance guy. You know, stranger things have happened.
0: I was kind of surprised it, they yeah, I was surprised they let him go actually. Um, <laughs> you know, the last two seasons we'd we'd seen him, his velocity had been down, he'd had some shoulder inflammation. And you know, this year he was he didn't look great. His command was still, you know, what it what it is, but um, you know, was throwing ninety four to ninety-six a little bit more again. Slider looked pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised they they cut bait there. But he was a Dabrowski guy, maybe. Maybe that explains a little bit of it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It, it's teams are so fickle with their farm systems because they'll either hold on to guys too long because they'll they'll be grow too attached to them, or they'll do the exact opposite. It feels like there's like no gray area where they 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 think of players as you know th- these valuable assets, but they can still be valuable assets somewhere else. And that's something that had been t- told to me by you know usually agents were ones that would say that but they don't, they don't want to think of players strictly as, you know, serial numbers and assets, you know, they're, they're human beings. Yeah. And um, the players themselves, they're they are going to be better in some different environments than others. And um, the best that you can as a scouting department and as a player development uh, group be at least as, as symbiotic as possible, that's how you're going to end up de- uh, creating a, a better franchise overall for certain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I don't, you know, I, I've been pretty critical of, uh, of the Alavila front office, um, say, say through 2019. But, you know, we're also at a, at a point where, you know, they hired, you know, Dan Hubs um, for pitch design. And they hired Kenny Graham as the new player, um, director of player development. You know, Dave Littlefield is probably still, you know, largely involved. But, but they do have some new personnel like that. And then, you know, we've seen already the impact that Chris Fetter and Juan Nieves seem to be having at the, at the major league level. And you know, so so people who look at um the tigers and say, you know, they they've got to draft guys who are pretty close to ready because they haven't had that much success with development, like, you know, Scoobyl, um, you know, Mai's, the little things that that seem to help them may have may have as well come from driveline as it did from, you know, from anything that went on in the Tigers, Tigers system. But um, but you know, it's it is kind of a new day down there. So yeah, we don't really know what to expect, um, you know, as far as, you know, what what's going to come. But some of the, you know, some of the fringier guys like Andre Lipschus, Ryan Kreidler, and a few guys like that who've been doing a little better this year, Cody Clemens. Um, so it, it is funny, especially with the, the 2020 year in the middle to see how how different the Tigers organization looks than it did in 2019 when, you know, it looked like we had like three or four really good guys and, and, and maybe nothing, <laughs> nothing after that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- things can change quickly. Um, especially when you, when you don't see guys for almost two years.
1: And what's important during this, uh, this kind of competitive cycle of, of building up, you know, the, the, the to a more competitive championship team, right. Is that you really have to hit on these top, Picks, you know yeah. Riley Green. I, I I'm still president of the you know non Tigers uh, Riley Green fan club. So yeah, I, I number one. Yep, I I love me some Riley Green. Uh, I think Torkelson's going to be an excellent, MLB regular. You know, uh, be on some all our teams going to go to some home run derbies that kind of thing i think casey Myers is still probably a number two pitcher which is still a hell of a get you know when you're talking about the risk and pitchers at the top of the draft i think that's still a very good pick yep. well the, the 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 it's still out to see what happens to matt manning so now it's like all right here's here we are in year 2021 we got to hit on this pick here again because if we don't then that's a really empty slot and the future roster that you were really counting on. So it's an important pick, no doubt. They're going to get a good player. If they get the right player, it's just going to add to that that stable of, of young Tigers who are going to help compete for that next championship.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of look at, like, the, um, you know, the international free agents where they, you know, once the bonus pool system, system changed, they have spent a lot more money. They've gone in on some big guys, and we haven't really seen anything, you know, kind of come of that. So yeah, it, it does keep in mind as we wait to see if Chris Illich will will um, will open the wallet um, more in the next year or two. That um, yeah, th- this is a key draft, especially with that comp A pick in the in the big pool um, to to get the right guy yeah, in the in the first round and then hopefully find another you know solid contributor elsewhere. Yeah, Dingler's looking great. Um, I mean, I don't know what uh, what people are going to regrade him as, but he's looking like at least a 55 to me. So. Yeah. Feeling pretty good about that one. That's for sure.
1: Oh yeah. I, I was definitely pushing him hard pre-draft. I, I I think that was a coup. Definitely get him where they got him. I, I know for us at baseball prospectus, we're going to, launch our top 50 midseason prospects and he will most likely be in the top 50 which is pretty impressive considering you know he was barely a top 50 pick last year in, in the draft yep. and he already making it the top 50 list is pretty impressive but one thing i do want to touch on though with that comp a pick is don't be surprised if they use that almost as a underslot pick with the availability that the 39th pick allows them, they could go and, and take a guy who's maybe a little bit further down the board than what some people might have, a little, little more of a surprising name, uh, float a little bit uh, less money than what that slot is allotted to, and then go big and, and, and use that more on that next pick just because of the, the proximity of each other. A lot lot of chess pieces uh, with the Tigers. They and the Reds um, are the two teams that have three picks in the top 40. And it's really interesting to see how those are going to go, how they're going to mess around with that pool money to get the best players uh, possible.
0: Yep. Always tricky because yeah you know you you take that underslot guy in in the comp A and then the guy you're looking to spend the big money on in round two goes you know the next takeoff off and you, you lose your mind. So, well, you that's when you, you
1: you it's it's easy to talk to an advisor at that point and say hey look we have 1.9 million at pick 39 <laughs> but we're we'll, we'll give you three we'll yeah. give you like two seven and that's way more than what anybody can give you know at that point so i, I that's when you as a advisor say well sorry uh, you're calling us at pick 35 and you're offering us slot at, at 2 million but well we have we're not gonna sign for anything less than 2.7. Yep so that's how that works.
0: Yep. Yeah gotta I guess you also have to you know scout the other organizations a little bit too <laughs> you know, yeah helps them know what they're thinking.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Ken, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Um, I'd really like to encourage um all of our listeners, as always, to uh, go over to Baseball Prospectus and su- subscribe there. Um, it's well worth it. You guys are always on the cutting edge. Like every every little detail that we touched on, there is you know massive amounts of of depth and research about um, about all those subjects on Baseball Prospectus as well as anything you could like. So uh please head over there um for far more even than than just Keenan himself. There's um there's a wealth of knowledge over there and those subscriptions have been worth their weight in gold to me over the years. So um I really appreciate you taking the time. Um it's gonna be an interesting draft and um yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be excited to watch you guys cover it and see how things turn out.
1: Yeah, Brennan, it's been my pleasure. And I just want to say, though, uh, I've seen a large amount of the players who are listed in the top 75 or so. I've got a lot of them on video. So whomever the Tigers end up picking on July 11th and 12th, uh, please uh, Google me, Keenan Lamb YouTube. You're going to find tons of video of whomever the the Tigers are going to end up finding. Uh, so I definitely encourage you guys to go check that out once that happens.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, for all your all your scouting needs. Yep. YouTube, um, follow him on Twitter as well. And um, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully we'll we'll do this again sometime, maybe next year.
1: <laughs> all right, thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. Yep, you have a good night. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was
0: great. Thank you.